0: Bitcoin is going to be, you know, one of the most valuable assets along with Ethereum, you know, in 5 10 years from now. It's it's going to be my projection is uh, 500,000 per coin is in Bitcoin within the next 5 years, probably 10 at the most. Welcome to the Land Life podcast
1: with your host PJ Riley. welcome to the Land Life Podcast. Guys, today we got such an explosive guest, such a such an accomplished guest that I'm not. I'm gonna kind of skip the uh, the formalities, like always, guys. Like, subscribe, leave comments, please, especially today. Um, but today we got a guy that has started so many different businesses. I want to kind of jump right in and, and not waste too much more time. So, Jack Gibson. Uh, Jack, how are you?
0: Good, BJ. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to awesome. be here.
1: Awesome, awesome I'm excited so uh Jack, first of all, that's a really cool name that's like a movie star level name like I never Jack looked at Gibson, it like that but starring yeah. Jack
0: Gibson well my my legal name is John uh, but uh because I'm the fourth John in a row they every other is John Jack John Jack so that's how it all plays out nobody ever understands why you John but you go by Jack there that's it's a common. very
1: cool name and yeah. Yeah, that when I when I make the thumbnail for this podcast, I will do something with that because that's really, right. that's that's a really cool name. All right, so Jack, dude, you got so many things, so many businesses you've started. Let's um, let's just do a real quick Cliff Notes version of your background, and then we'll jump right yeah.
0: in. Yeah, you know, I kind of have the rich dad poor dad scenario. I had my my real dad, who was an amazing influence. He was a professional, always had a job. Like, and he did an arson investigation for State Farm. So that's where somebody burns down their house or building or business. Like he's got to prove they did it or did not do it on purpose. <laughs> and he was he was great at that. And then I had my um, my wealthy uncle, who was an entrepreneur, right? And he didn't have any kids of his own, so he was like my second father. And I was always on his farm growing up. So I was around him, maybe more than my my real dad. And he had three businesses and he was always figuring out ways to make additional streams of money. He was very, uh, he was overly frugal to a fault, right? I mean, (laughs) when he when he passed his bedroom had wallpaper that was collapsing down like it was nuts right like so they taught me though uh how to that taught me how to build multiple businesses have multiple streams of cash flow and taught me uh, how to be frugal and and create more investable dollars but also I realized how what I how extremes the extremes I did not want to go to I remember really vividly when i was a senior in high school the cleveland indians made the world series against the atlanta braves right and i go i grew up in ohio I loved, loved uh, indians now unfortunately the guardians and you know i I'd say hey i call him up and i'm like because he's a huge indians fan i'm like hey you want to go to the world series i got a couple tickets 350 400 bucks each nice. and i was willing to shell it out that's probably one fourth of my total net worth or probably <laughs> to half, the millionaire, right? Yeah. <laughs> and him, he's sitting on probably stacking multiple millions and he's like, no, I can't go. It's, I don't want to part with my money. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't take it with you. Right. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's great lessons to learn from people of what to do and then also what not to do. And so those are, that was kind of my start in, in entrepreneurialism is just being in that, that environment. Yeah, sure. So uh, now now when you kind of uh, progressed
1: from there in college, you started uh, uh, a business as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of tell us a little bit about that. I know, uh, you know, the the version you want, you can tell us uh, about the nutrition company you were uh, working with. Yeah, Uh, I
0: was, I was sitting in my dorm room one day, you know, playing video games, wasting time like college kids do. And a kid came in, or he came around, he was handing out flyers about a nutrition uh, product that had his parents had just lost 30, 40 pounds each with, and he was uh, very excited about uh, the opportunity to, you know, to make money. And so he shared the whole deal with me. And reluctantly, I took a look. I went to the meeting and saw the whole deal and the plan. And I'm like, wow, I could create uh, some really nice income here, you know, part-time from my dorm. So I started doing that, uh, built that up pretty nice. Uh, I saved up 50 grand, uh, called you know, the side hustle money. Uh, was, this was around 2000. I got really um, excited to turn that 50 into you know millions, and in, in the stock market, tech stocks have been cranking for the last several years. Oh, man. So I popped the 50 grand in. This is the 2000. I think you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> we had what's called oh. the dot com bubble crash. Uh, within like four months, I mean, half my money's gone, and I'm like, what just happened? Like I could have had some incredible parties. <laughs> with this fifty grand, you know, versus yeah. I just totally lost half of it within such a short period of time. So, you know, that was my start in investing and in my initial early um, successes with that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I've been doing that uh, business that's going on twenty five years, so that's still a very strong business. But as an entrepreneur, you know, I, I just had the bug. I want to start other things and. Yeah you know uh, try some some other things test myself challenge myself try to figure out like you know what what's my limitations how far can i go in other businesses so um about 6 years ago opportunity kind of fell into my lap i was looking to get into real estate and learn how to invest into real estate so I started looking at turnkey real estate, which is where somebody else does all the heavy lifting for you in terms of acquiring a property, rehabbing the property, getting a tenant place. So you're buying a cash flow-producing asset. So I started buying up, got incredible returns, and then I had a pretty established network by that point of people that know, like, knew, liked, and trusted me. So I started selling and referring people to this turnkey provider and getting commissions and then. It turned into like, wow, I actually have a real business. I can scale this business. There's huge demand for what, this, what, what we're doing. Yeah. And so I brought in a business partner, figured 50% of a, of a much bigger pie is better than 100% of what I do on my own. Absolutely. Everybody listen to that too. Yeah. To that. You don't need that to be looks... the guy all the time. No, I think you know if you bring in a good partner, um, and that's what my billionaire friend Sean told me. He's got a billion-dollar company. He said you got to have great partners if you want to scale. So I'm like, okay. So we've been uh, we've been building that company out the last six years, and um, you know it's been uh, some incredible incredible years, and some there's been some tough years in there too. So it's a pretty common theme, I think, with um, having any type of entrepreneurial background, Absolutely. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um,
1: So, so initially you started buying turnkey rentals. Um, You were just kind of accumulating turnkey rentals over and over from a different distributor. And then you're like, you know what, I'm going to make, do this myself. So are you buying then kind of like uh, distressed properties, cleaning them up, you know, putting everything, are you, are you putting in a tenant as well? Kind of like, like what, what can somebody expect if they're trying to work with you right now?
0: Well, yeah, that company is called High Return Real Estate. And, you know, we've really done a big pivot over the last six months. We were mainly in, you know, CB class properties that, um, you know, to a little bit tougher areas, but also had a really good shot of appreciating, you know, they still had, we try to buy in areas where there is potential for gentrification, as well as the cash flow yields that you get from just, you know, renting out the property. But, you know, those those margins are getting really squeezed because, as we're all aware, right, the real estate market is, you know, really popped, but the rents have not increased proportionally to the valuations. So we just started to find that it was really, really tight when you buy a, a property with a long-term tenant that you're probably going to experience at some point a time where something breaks in the property and all your cash flow yields that you have. Accumulated as profit are now going back into the property to fix it up, right? And it's not really that hard to figure out. We all live in a house. We all know how much stuff breaks. Even this is a you know this is our dream house we're in. This is a very nice house, but I mean the stuff that we've had to pay for stuff that has broken down over the last five years. I mean it's a it's a guy it's a huge bill. So yeah. so this is a it's an asset. It's it's a liability, not an asset, Absolutely. right? So what we started seeing, you know, the trending in, in the cash flow yields for short term and medium term even um, tenants through Airbnb, VRBO, and then leasing to corporate tenants, you know, that are there on short term type three to six month stays. Those yields are, in a lot of cases, the rents that you get per month are three to four times what you would get from a from a long term tenant. So my we've my partner kind of proved it out with his own property, and we've had a couple that have done very very well. So we're just right now just kind of converting over and scaling up this model of you know more uh, hybrid turnkey, where you're you're buying up a property and then the investor funds the rehab to get it to completion, okay. and then our preferred management partner comes in once it's done and they uh, stage it with all the furniture that you need. So we take care of all of that, uh, for the investor and then they lease it up and manage all the short-term rentals, you know, that comes in. Now it's a lot more management intense. So you pay a higher management fee, but you also have a lot more yields coming in. I mean, when you have tenants coming in and out every three days or, or even day, um, it's just a lot. It's a lot more management intensive. So unless you want to do that yourself, you know, you get a management company and they they take care of it. Yeah. And so we're, um, yeah, this is this has been in the works, and the last six months we've just been building this out and very excited uh, for what it's going to do for our own portfolio and you know for investors as well. Absolutely. So you're
1: are you managing it then in house? Is this an in house company that's managing it, or are you outsourcing that as well?
0: Um, yeah, it's a it's an in-house company. Um, yes, so we we try to we don't really want to promote that, but I'll answer your question truthfully, of course. Right? But we don't want. We can to always be, edit this out. Don't worry. No, about no, you're fine. It's, <laughs> uh, it's not a big deal. Um, but we don't want like an investor to come back at us and be like, "Well, this is all your fault because you sold us this property," and then you're also the management. Yeah. Look. Bottom line is, things problems are going to happen in real estate when you you. It's not a smooth sailing. It's it never will be, and so anybody that comes into it with that kind of like pie in the sky mentality, it's you'll you'll soon be hit with a dose of reality when yeah. things don't go uh, work according to plan. So uh, we we definitely though we want to control that in post sale experience for our investors as much as we possibly can to give them a better. Um, smoother ride as they will, you know, versus if we throw them off to somebody else, we don't know how they're going to take care of them. And there's some really, really poor companies out there that do management. Yeah. And and if you guys
1: are new to real estate, um, you know, look into something like this, because this is a, when you buy a new property, it can be nerve wracking. It can be scary. You're like, I have, first of all, a lot of guys like me, I live in Denver. I'm not buying a ton of houses here in Denver.
0: No, so, it's too
1: expensive, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, our median yeah. price is seven hundred grand. So sure, you know, you look when you buy uh, structures, you're looking out of state, maybe southeast, Midwest, something like that. Um, but it can be nerve wracking because I'm not there every day, you know. So to have a company not only kind of bring me in, show me a property, uh, you know, sh- show me how to manage the or so bring in a management company as well. That's huge, and that can help a lot, especially if you're brand new. Um, so what, what yeah, markets are you, are you guys in? That's a
0: great question. I was going to say the market is the market selection is really important because you want to yeah. get into markets that still have a, a decent uh, what's called the price to rent ratio, which is really simple. It's you look at the, what's the total price that I'm all in on that property for, including rehab. And then what's it renting for? And typically in long term, hold real rental real estate. If you're hitting 1% price to rent ratio, so if the property you bought it for a hundred grand and it's getting a thousand a month in rent, that's 1%, right? That's typically the benchmark of where you're pretty safe and you're going to cash flow that property. Now, and what we're seeing is in short term and medium term, as much as 3% price to rent ratio or even 4%. So that just creates so much more margins of of cushion in your monthly profitability on that property that you can then withstand and still be cash flow positive if a roof or something goes out on the property. Now, if you just rehabbed it, you're probably not looking at some big capex, we call it capital expenditure. That's a big the big items, the roof and the electrical and the plumbing and the foundation, right? You're not looking at that for probably years out if it's the rehab's been done well. Mm-hmm. But you're always going to see a host of maintenance issues. Things are going to break. So you yeah. got to have enough yield of the rents coming in to, to be able to cover all that stuff. And look, we all want, um, as we buy and do investments, we want to have our cake and eat it too, right? We want we want cash flow coming in yeah. that's positive. And then we also want the property to be increasing in value. So that's what we really look for Mid- Midwest to always markets is what we're in Indianapolis, Nashville um, we have properties in Birmingham um, we are looking at other you know markets as well St. Louis, Illinois so we we're, we're expanding into different markets that make sense. So uh, as far as the short terms go,
1: in mm-hmm. a place like Indianapolis, Birmingham, when I see short-term rentals, I see uh, the Ap- Appalachia I see a beach property. How how um, uh, are they still successful in a place like Indiana, Birmingham, St. Louis? Are you still able to do short terms there?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, one of my my business partners is the very first Airbnb that kind of proved out that, you know, we've got something here. It's, uh, it's a few minutes from downtown Indy. So that's, you know, desirable. But I mean, it's really literally it's either on the edge of the hood or it's in, it's actually in the hood. <laughs> and I mean, he has gunshots, you know, that he, that he hears in the neighborhood occasionally. So, so the area that he's in is gentrifying. He did a really nice rehab. It's a ni- very nice property. Like if you walked in, it's, it's got historic woodwork and it just looks yeah. really cool. Right. But still it's not in the most desirable location. However, I mean, the thing is booked up from short-term rentals, you know, and he, and it gets a good, he gets, He's getting triple what we would have gotten from a, you know, a a long-term tenant. So competition wise. um, So
1: we're we're getting three to four times rent Mm -hmm. versus the one. Mm -hmm. I still see a lot of people going to the the long-term rental. Um, Where would you say the competition is today, right now, short-term versus long-term, which is the more hot market?
0: You know, that's a great question. I mean, you have more stability with a long-term tenant right you you know that you know when they sign a long-term lease you don't know that they're not going to break it but if you get a good quality tenant right generally speaking they're gonna you know you know when there's predictability there so that's the advantage is the income consistency and predictability Um, there's always a demand for long-term tenants especially with a tight supply Mm -hmm. so I think as far as economically resilient, you're probably short or long term uh, leases are going to be more resilient to any type of downturn in the economy. Whereas, you know, a lot of people that are doing short term rentals, this is more of a fun pleasure trip. Uh, You know, uh, sometimes it's a business trip, which is, definitely we want a mix of, of all of that type of demand, but sure. short-term, short-term rentals, I think, um, you know, it's definitely going to get more competitive. We've definitely seen a lot more people entering the space, but if you do a great job with, uh, staging the property and providing a really good, you know, quality experience, I mean, you're, you're always going to have uh, a demand. Your te- your properties are going to be filled up. Okay. All right. Let's, let's shift gears just a little bit. You also do, you're also in self-storage.
1: Um, uh, you have a, Two different funds uh, with Mm Salesforce. Talk about a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, that's funny. Like, uh, so two. it was uh, 10 years ago. We're going down to Cabo on a on a trip that we earned through our direct sales company. Yeah. And of course, uh, the second year in a row, I forgot my passport. I mean, uh, it's like, it's unbelievable, like <laughs> shit that I do. I mean, yeah. really, you don't have to be superiorly uh, intelligent and not do dumb shit to, you know, to, to grow businesses. But so, yeah, we the, the first the first year, I, it was expired when I got to the airport, right? Uh, the second year, we just forgot it. And my mom raced. We raced to meet each other on the highway. I was driving back from the airport for, at 100 miles an hour. And then I just grabbed the passport from my mom. I couldn't get back in time. So we, we get there a day late and miss the first day. And in line is Sean. Uh, checking in and he forgot his passport too and but he had he was a baller he had his buddy fly a private plane to him where he was at the airport and you know get him his passport just in time he made the, the trip wow. the flight you know from Canada into um, Cabo and I'm like well I want to be like you what do you Absolutely. do and he's like well i you know, I've got the self-storage uh, real estate fund that I've been doing, and, and it's massively profitable. So we hit it off kindred spirits, right? Sure, absolutely. And um, I've been investing with him for the last decade, and and it is by far my favorite investment because it's the, the most passive in nature. I don't have to do anything. And um, the, the returns are consistently in the 25% annualized range. So, you know, you're doubling your money every four years at 25%, right? Mom. So um, the only downside is, you know, that it, the money when you put into a fund like these, number one, it's not liquid. You can't get your money back out until the fund sells. Yeah. And the second part is that you have to be accredited to do a private placement deal like this. So accredited, you know, you got to have a million dollars in net worth or over 200,000 in annual income or 300K um, as a you know married filing jointly. So. You know that's the that's the downside, but if you can get yourself into those requirements, that opens up a huge uh, a wave of opportunity to do higher um, higher plays in terms of less risk and, and bigger rewards. So, yeah. I just decided. You know, I had several friends that were asking me about it, and and you know colleagues and networks, and I just uh, I put together a fund to invest into the um the store space the self-storage fund that I'm in and it's been um it's been incredible in terms of the, the returns are are just they're, they're really really strong so yeah that's 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 the that company and then um yeah what else Bitcoin mining uh we, we got, mining you got all kinds of stuff. real quick though as far as being accredited um yeah. as far as being accredited though um guys
1: if, if if you're watching this and you're like well I don't have a million bucks I don't have anything really um so you kind of followed his path Direct sales, rolled into real estate, rolled into bigger real estate, rolled into mm-hmm. bigger real estate, right? So you don't necessarily have to, don't think about starting at the end. You know, don't compare yourself to where Jack is today, or even where he was when he started the, the, the self-storage uh, uh, fund. Look at where he started early on. He found mm-hmm. an opportunity and he just just ran with it. You know, just find something that produces income that can get your ball, the kid the ball rolling and just roll
0: with it. I mean, I'm, I couldn't agree more. You know, if you look back to when I first started in my very first, you know, business, well, I when I started that, I was working on my uncle's farm, making five bucks an hour, picking up sticks and clearing off farmland. Right? Jeez. I mean, it was terrible. It's real work. But you got to put the work in, and sometimes you got to get your hands dirty, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And do do things that you maybe don't want to do in the, uh, but having the vision for the long-term picture of where you're actually headed. Yeah. I think a lot and of times
1: people see the the Instagram stuff, like
0: the uh, the you know, the guy with the jet and the, the Lamborghini
1: and stuff. And they're like, well, well, how do I get there really fast? It's not going to be really fast. It's just never going to be like, really- you can get there. You can absolutely get there. Yeah. But you have to do step one and step two, and maybe you'll kill it on step two and you'll skip skip, skip step three and hit step four. But it ain't going to be some big jump to pri- from gas station employee to private jets. You know, you got to like work, you got to find something, find vehicles and work those vehicles.
0: Exactly. And, you know, I like incremental growth, PJ. I mean, a lot of people are looking for big, big, gigantic jumps and, you know, their income or in their wealth. And I feel like that's great if you can make that happen. I love those success stories. They're inspiring. Um, Those are the exception to the rule, not the norm. Uh, The norm of entrepreneurship is this, you know, steady plotting and this steady um, incremental consistent growth. And that's the kind of growth that most of us can uh, handle in terms of being able to hang, handle with your ego and with your pride and with your heart and just making sure that, you know, when you do, when you do have a big jump in income or, or, or a windfall or a big growth, right? Uh, Most humans that I know, um, especially younger, they're not equipped to be able to handle that. So then they end up ultimately either self-sabotaging it or something sabotages it, the universe, God, energy, whatever you want to call it, because you're not the type of person that is cut out to handle that type without it really hurting you uh, over the long term. So I don't think you should desire to have wealth fast and wealth quickly it's not in your best interest now i'm sure most people they what i just said they don't want to hear that they don't want to listen i understand but that's the way it works absolutely absolutely okay so bitcoin mining
1: you go okay direct sales real estate yeah. self storage and now bitcoin mining sure where did that start like <laughs> how'd you come up with that idea
0: well i mean i love I love crypto. I love what it represents. I love um, Bitcoin as a you know, a disruptive, de- decentralized form of money that the governments cannot debase or control. And obviously we could go on to, this is an entirely different episode that could go on for <laughs> a long time, right? We could look at all the ways that the government is you know, manipulating and, and everything they're doing to our money supply. I mean, there's it's pretty, can't really argue it when you look at the numbers. Whereas with, you know, cryptocurrency, you, you, they, they don't have that control. They can't, they can't do the things that they, they can do to the dollar. So I love that. I love, I think that it's the future. I think that most of the things that, you know, you and I are going to be conducting in business and transactions will happen over the blockchain in the next five to 10 years. So I just kind of missed the boat a little bit in terms of, I didn't get in early enough. Yeah. I bought, I bought my first Bitcoin back in like 2016 and, you know, I just kind of, you know, I don't know, I, I just kind of sat on it and um, then I sold off part of it, right? And then, but I, so I didn't really, I didn't get in early enough. And so what Bitcoin mining allows you to do is to get in kind of like earlier over a longer period of time, meaning that you can get in cheaper, uh, than what the current price of the Bitcoin is. If you were just to go out on the market and buy it, if you're mining and you have a long-term patient view, then over that course of time, you could get your Bitcoin, say, at 20,000 instead of 30,000 or 50 or 60 or wherever this, you know the spot market price is. So my... My buddy, Adam, he's, we've done several um, technology technology product, uh, products together. He's built some software platforms for me. And I saw him, you know, he was, he's been mining Bitcoin for a while. And so I just, you know, I messaged him like, hey, man, you know, I'm just throwing this out there. But if you want me to put some capital up, I'll put the money up. You do all the technical stuff that you know how to do. I don't know how to do any of that. And I just know I want more Bitcoin. I want more Ethereum. <laughs> That's all I know. And I wanted it at a cheaper price. So he's like, cool. Yeah. So then we started buying up Ethereum mining equipment. So we've been mining that for a year and a half. Um, I think uh, Bitcoin mining, you know, we've, we're still, we're in a, this is the thing, right? I was supposed to be plugged in back in January and this is, we're, you know, we're in June now and we're still not plugged in. So this is the problem with entrepreneurial activity and things. There's, there's always not always, but a lot of times there's delays and there's yeah. things that happen that, you know, maybe you didn't project, you couldn't figure out downside risks that you didn't see. But we didn't know that the supply chain for the things that we needed to p- produce power for our machines was going to be so difficult to get. Transformers, uh, panels for our containers, all this stuff is like and locked down. Why is that? Why it locked down in China. Okay. They've been locked down for Two months, and you know, even before then, um, we had we had supply chain disruptions as well. So we're we're experiencing that. Hey, we just we cannot get the parts in a timely fashion. That what we need to power the whole all the mining rigs. So yeah, I mean it's I mean as of right now the machines are sitting there just waiting to be plugged in and it's super frustrating. Yeah. Um, but you know, as soon as I have them plugged in and cranking, I'll have space to bring on you know 400 more machines, you know, and a, and a bunch of new investors that want to do it. But until that happens, you know, it's just called wait patiently, which I don't really do well. Hurry up and wait. Yeah, hurry up and wait. It's terrible. It's terrible <laughs> because entrepreneurs we're not built to be patient. No, not at all. We're not built to. We're not built to wait. We don't. We hate waiting. We it want. We want to. Aggr- it drives us mad. We want aggressive action. That's how you. That's how you're successful as an entrepreneur is that you're constantly, you're just like taking uh, stabs every day aggressively, yeah. trying to you know, pat, you know, cut your your path through the forest, and it's really really hurts when when you're delayed and you can't help it. Absolutely. Yeah. Even like. Uh-
1: even when things aren't going, I have to be moving forward. I have to be doing something to mm-hmm. make money. And I, I told my wife, I told my wife, yesterday, actually this morning, I said, uh, yesterday was horrible. And she's like, why? I was like, I didn't make any money. And I was like, I don't know. I didn't know even where to begin. I was like looking, moving, calling people, doing things. I didn't make anything. And she's like, yeah, I guess that's a bad thing. I'm like, that's a terrible thing. That's like the worst thing that you can do as an entrepreneur is not progress in some direction. Yeah. But so I want to
0: ask you. Yeah, thing. for sure. It's, yeah, it, right. you, 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 you know, and so, yeah, I mean, this happens. You're going to see lulls in your businesses or business. It's probably, and it's just inevitable where there's just down periods where, you know, you're, you're putting the work and the effort and energy in, but you're not seeing, for whatever reason, you know, just, you just haven't caught your momentum yet, or you're, you're developing a new product line or you're re, totally revamping what you're doing. Cause you want to kind of take things in a different direction and you got, maybe you got burned out. So you're got a lull from that. There's all kinds of things that will happen that, you know, will kind of almost pump the brakes on what you're doing. And those are, they're, they're, they really, they really suck. Like you're saying, but they're also, I think they're really good for us to, because it can try to maybe help us get a little bit more grounded, centered, and like realizing too, like okay, there's there's more important things in life, more bigger priorities than making money. I mean, yeah. you know, I, we don't usually like to admit that there's more important things, right? But there are plenty yeah. like, more important things.
1: <laughs> Looking around, the grass is three feet tall. The kids are like, You're "Dad, done. what are we doing?" Right. I gotta do something. I, I gotta go to I'm Making money. <laughs> yeah. you like, well, I haven't made money though?" Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll take it to practice, but. Um, real quick, uh, as far as like Bitcoin, uh, as far as all the coins out there, so I bought Bitcoin, I bought Ethereum, I bought all these other little uh, coins, coins right? Yep. right? Where do you see the future going? Uh, my And I'll just say in my account, everything crashed since Yeah, you're December. down quite a bit, aren't you? When did you buy in? Uh, shoot, I started last October, September, October, something like that. I bought everything, went boom, shot way up. And now it's like it's crashed. What do you see as the future of of these altcoins and as well Bitcoin and Ethereum?
0: Yeah. I mean, I tell anybody that, you know, is experiencing the same thing, I I, I just say absolutely, unequivocally, you hold. Mm. And because five years from now, this is going to be a blip on your financial radar. Like if we were to if we were to fast forward, get into a time machine, and go forward five years, and we talk to you, um, you're you're gonna say, and undoubtedly you're just gonna say, oh, the, that crash back in 2022. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't even care. It yeah. it, it was a blip, because now where I'm at today is, <laughs> is, is, is incredible. Okay. Yeah. But here's what I tell people about crypto volatility is the price that you have to pay for outsized gains. So if you want a safe and steady three, 4%, you know, go get bonds buy, you know, whole life, um, high cash value insurance, you know, you get, you get your basic stable type plays. If you want to get a little bit more risk, but, uh, get better, better returns, you, know, you get you know cash flow real estate, get some index funds. If you want to get high risk high returns, you know get early stage companies, tech stocks and um, and crypto. It's still in, in very early stages.. Yeah. So anytime anything's in the early stages, it has a lot more up and down price movement because it's just um, they more they're more speculation too. I mean intense speculation in the early stages. So you're gonna see these 80%, 50%, you know, 60% drawdowns that are gut-wrenching. If you can hold, then you're gonna be very happy. So here's, here's basics of uh, really quick, what a great uh, an average and a poor investor does when their assets drop, okay? okay? So a poor investor panic sells. So that was me in 2000. I had no idea what I bought. I was buying based on past performance. I didn't know what, Im- what companies or what investments I was in. I was just buying something cuz my financial advisor said to. So when it dropped, I was a poor investor, I panicked, sold them off, and I probably had Amazon in that basket of stocks, right? That's dot .com. Be- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> probably that was in there too. So then an average investor, they hold and they just they just patiently wait through any down any down drops and then a uh, great investor, they buy more. Because they know that the value has not changed of what they bought. It's the temporary price action or the perceived value from other irrational investors has caused it to drop. So they buy more and double down to drop their uh, average cost per uh, investment or per coin or whatever you're in. And knowing that and having faith and confidence in in their that they bought a great they're buying a great quality asset that has a lot of long term growth potential. So if anything, you just hold right now, and um, if you can, you're you should be adding more to those positions because they're they're really at incredible prices right now. Would would you say Bitcoin and Ethereum are more
1: are, are going to maybe outlast these smaller coins, or do you think everything's going to uh, catch back up and and be great in five years.
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly there's absolutely nothing wrong with just loading up your portfolio on Bitcoin and Ethereum, especially at today's prices. They are long-term assets. I consider Ethereum to be one of the greatest assets in, in a decade from now, it'll probably be more valuable than Apple. Wow. There's, wow. I mean, there's thousands of 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 d apps, decentralized apps that are being built on top of the Ethereum network. It just has um, so many use cases of real life, real world application. Almost all the NFTs, the non fungible tokens, that that market's exploding. All that's happening, and not all of it, but most of it's happening in the Ethereum blockchain. And then, um, yeah, but I do think, you know, personally. I think uh, an, an exposure, a small exposure to a, a nice basket of altcoins is very, very smart, especially at today's prices. Yeah. These are the ones, whenever Bitcoin and Ethereum go up, altcoins go up even more. So they slingshot past Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, the, 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 it's also true the, the reverse. Bitcoin and <laughs> yeah, Ethereum drop, altcoins <laughs> drop even more. So there's a lot more risk. So a great portfolio, in my opinion is like you know you got 20 to 35% of Ethereum and 20, 30, 25, 35% of Bitcoin and then then the rest is is in the alts. And you've got it spread out amongst your top 10 to 20 favorite alts. position size your bets, meaning you put the same amount into each altcoin bet. and 10, you know out of 20 altcoins you get, I don't know. Ten of them probably won't be here in five years, and yeah. five of them will probably just be okay. And then there'll be a you know a few of them that'll be world class projects that are adopted by you know millions of people. So yeah. those are the ones that are going to far make up for any of the other losses that you experience in the you know the rest of the altcoin portfolio. Yeah. Thank you for saying
1: that. Cause that's, that's a, I think a lot of people are very confused right now, especially that aren't they're Bitcoin experts. They got into Bitcoin because everyone said, get into Bitcoin, get into crypto uh, you know, and then it crashed. And now they're like, well, what do I do? I, I have no idea even what I'm
0: doing to begin with. So you know, yeah, that,
1: that helps a ton.
0: Yeah. And that, that there was a ton of people that had no idea what they were buying. They didn't understand it at, at all. I still, I still don't, I mean, I understand it. I mean, you can tell from me speaking. I understand it, but I don't truly understand like a lot of the technical kind of kind of in the in the weeds sort of things about it. Um, but you know that if you really want to understand it, uh, there's a book. It's called The Bitcoin Standard. I think everybody must read it if you're going to get into the crypto space. Because once you read that that book will really um, help you understand why Bitcoin is going to be, you know, one of the most valuable assets along with Ethereum, you know, in five, 10 years from now, it's, it's going to be, my projection is uh, 500,000 per coin is in Bitcoin within the next five years, probably 10 at the most.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. All right. So Jack, you have real estate, Bitcoin, uh, self-storage, you have all this stuff. And now you're helping people kind of learn, uh, basically build their own businesses on the side. You're coaching them, correct?
0: Yeah. That's indestructible you know, wealth. Absolutely. yep yeah. In indestructible wealth, I realized, you know, during the pandemic lockdown, uh, I went through some really, really tough personal stuff. Uh, some of it, you know, just um, deserved to uh, help me to, you know, become a better man. And then some of it um, was just uh, super like, you know, unfortunate type thing. And so I took a, I took a solid year off almost. I mean, I, I didn't like, I didn't just go into a, you know, um, dark hole and not communicate with anybody, but I didn't work very much. I just golfed and played with the kids. And in that time, you know, I realized like, I've, most of my life, I've been what I call on the on the first mountain. There's the first mountain is where you're chasing success and and achievement and, and money and external things, which is awesome and nothing wrong with that. And I, I still do that. And I'm still going to do that for the rest of my life because it's fun. But the second mountain is the fulfillment mountain. And this is where you have something type of uh, maybe a crisis or something that happens that kind of Transforms you from the first mound, changes your perspective, and catapults you or plucks you off the first, sends you off onto the second. And the second is based on fulfillment. This is based on how can you make your mark on humanity and and help other people, and, and specifically help other humans transform their lives. And so I said, okay, what is it that I'm skilled enough that I could help transform, help people to learn? educate and move them into a different way of being and thinking well finances like I think I still have a lot to learn but uh, you know I've done pretty well there I mean we have 21 different streams of income five different companies um, but you know lots of passive income opportunities and so I was like, okay, let me teach this and let me help mentor the younger generation. So that's, that's where uh, Indestructible Wealth came out. I mean, I just finally created products. I haven't made any revenue. I've had it, I launched it a year ago. I wasn't in a rush to create revenue, which is a great position to be in. Sure. And again, if you're just getting started in business, you don't want to wait a year to, to try to sell something. That's a terrible play. <laughs> you won't make it unless you have a lot of other things uh, bringing income in, right? But um, it just gave me a, a chance to kind of build it out the way uh, I wanted to build it out without worrying about, okay, I got to make sales. So finally, like as of today, even our book, my book is launching. I have two courses that are Some um, of the financial way. education are coming out. Book is called Building Indestructible Wealth. Um, this first release is designed for six-figure earners or those who have probably, you know, six-figure 100, 100K to or more to invest. I mean, if somebody's uh, building towards that or or approaching those type of numbers, then certainly they're going to get something out of it, but it's a book designed for action. Like, okay, here's the the conceptual strategy. Yes, but we don't stop there. We actually go into multiple assets of how to buy them, how to think about them, how to invest into them, where to go to learn or how to access them specifically. Like I give links to lots of Uh, where to go to mine Bitcoin, where do you go to do self-storage, where do you go to uh, write stock options, you know, where do you get the specific teachings that you need to uh, be able to implement all the things that I'm showing you in the book? It's one thing I think, okay, i teach you out of theory or show you something, but if you walk away from that and you're like, I don't, I have no idea how I go about actually in implementation, then, you know, that's, Typically, a big uh, gaping hole. I think in a lot of you know training, right? Exactly. So um, yeah, it's it's a, it's all about uh, creating multiple streams of passive income uh, from uh, various assets and stocks, crypto and real estate, and then of course in your own private business, and then taking those streams of income, and then that's what you speculate with. That's what you that's what you buy your crypto all coins. That's what you buy your tech stocks with. That's what you buy your early stage you know pre ipo private placement type company that you know could can create some inc- incredible gains of 100x or more but more risky you don't want your you don't want your portfolio and your livelihood to be built upon that those foundational plays you want a solid stream of safe income as your foundation then play with house money you got all these streams of income coming in you're de-risking yourself so now if those things don't work out, your crypto crashes, your early stage company just totally bombs out and it doesn't work out. Okay, it hurts, but uh, my income is going to re- be replenished in a month, two, three months. It's no problem. I'll just I'll just swing again in three months from now and I'm all good.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I heard Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank saying the exact same thing the other day. Uh, he was on a, a different podcast podcast um, it was with Grant Cardone he saying the exact same thing. He's like, uh, you know, you, you only want to invest in, in, uh, you got to pay the bills at some, somehow. Right. So yeah. you don't want to use that money to be investing in all these speculative things like, like altcoins and, and things that may not work out. You know, you want to use the, the cash flow from a business to invest in things like that. Um, one thing sure. I wanted to focus on too is, uh, guys, if you're listening, um, hopefully you're listening. Uh, the so Jack here is a coach, and there's a lot of coaches out there. So I get uh, approached by coaches all the time. Um, what Jack just told us is he, to start this podcast, he built this business, this business, this business, this business. He did this in, investing uh, endeavor. He did a lot of things to to make himself qualified to coach. A lot of coaches aren't qualified. So hey, if you get a new coach that wants to, uh, you know, uh, uh, sell you their product. Say okay, what did you do? If they don't give you the rundown like Jack just gave us, maybe they're not the the, the right person to be uh, to be helping you.
0: Um, yeah, I would definitely agree. I think there's a lot of people that are out there that you know they they've never proven out that they actually know what they're doing in terms of the specific thing that they're they're teaching other people now. There are people that, uh, for example, there's some really great NBA coaches or college basketball coaches out there that are legendary, right? And they never even played college ball or played in the NBA. And um, maybe, you know, they they might've played high school ball, right? But they're coaching, they're exceptional coaches. Generally speaking, though, that's the pretty much the exception. That's not the norm. And so whatever I look at, anybody that I want to learn from, I always ask myself one question, did they get a result in this area that I want? Mm -hmm. Now, if the answer is yes, then that is they passed the sniff test. That's all I really want to know. If if the guy is a fitness guy and a personal trainer, right? Like the resume is Well, how do you look? Yes. (laughs) That's kind of a little bit super. Pretty easy resume. Yeah, it's an easy resume. You know, you got somebody that says, oh, I'm an entrepreneurial coach. Okay, cool. Well, then, you know, what businesses have you started? And what experience do you have, right? Are you an investor? What investing experience do you have? How has it worked? You know, and that's the thing too, as an investor, I lose money and stuff all the time. You know, like yeah. I, I, so then I'm like, man, am I qualified <laughs> to be a, um, a financial education coach? Well, yes, of course, because losses are part of the investing experience. You cannot, no matter what you do, you can't circumvent them. Buffett's down um, a huge amount on his Apple purchase. You know, he, he invested into Apple, rebought it, and it's it dropped even lower. Does that mean that he doesn't know what he's doing? I mean, he's had he bought a Kinney, I think it was Kinney shoes or something, I remember and he, he uh, it was it was he lost like five billion dollars on it or something. So just because like we don't get everything right, that that doesn't mean that you got to look at the what's the whole body of
1: work. Yeah, absolutely. So, but like I always say about coaches, they're they're a cheat code to life. So it they they're getting they're you're bypassing those failures that they already went through and they can tell you about, you know, the successes, the failures, you're getting years and years and years of experience given to you. So it's like a cheat code in like a video game, you know, you get to move so much further along, you know, you don't have to do it yourself. And I promise you failing, going through a business by yourself and failing and learning and failing and learning, it takes forever. And it's frustrating. If you can get a guy like Jack to say, Oh no! Go left when you were going right. Hey, it was worth the money.
0: I think of coaching as the great equalizer. You know, in terms of if I don't have the skills or the experience of somebody else that they're they're way ahead of me, I can close that gap by uh, hiring a really great coach. Like okay. they can they can help me equalize myself to other people that have a lot more skills or more experience. Our son, he's uh, twelve years old you know, he got cut from the travel ball team two years ago. We were all really disappointed. I mean, we, sports are a big part of our family, mm-hmm. including my wife is super competitive and it hurt. And so we said, okay, what do we do? Well, we hired a coach. We got him pitching lessons with a, prof- a professional player. And you know, now he's the best in the, in the rec league that he's in. Yeah. I mean, in two short years, he's been coaching every Wednesday for 30 minutes for the last two years straight. Never. I don't think we've missed a week unless we're on a couple of vacations. <laughs> right. And so that's the way you close the gap for any area of your life is, is coaching in my opinion. Absolutely. Sports business. It, it's really all the same. If, if you, if you
1: find someone who's already been there and they can, they can see where the errors in your game, they can see where you could get better, you know, kind of where you're at now that you shouldn't be uh, it's, it's uh Priceless. It really is priceless. It's gonna. You- I have
0: a coach in every area, almost. I mean, like my pastor is uh, my spiritual coach, right? I've got a. I've got my own business coaches. You know, I have my own financial mentors. I have, um, you know, I've gotten personal trainers in the past, you know, especially when I need a, you know, a, a boost or the dose, healthy dose of motivation, right? Yeah. So you definitely got to look at all areas of your life. And it's not like you want to take on a coach all at once on all areas. That'd be super expensive, but you want to be in the mindset, right. Of <laughs> Hey, who can I, who can I leverage off of that has the skills and experience that can help me pull my own skills and experience up um, and catapult me ahead, you know, five years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jack, where can people find you? Well, uh, my, but the best, place where everything is located is myindestructiblewealth.com. I have all my blogs, my podcast. Um others they can book a call if they want to, you know, do a strategy session for their financial education and they're building a wealth building strategy. And then also my book that's uh launching today. And then uh the two <laughs> courses that I have the basic and the advanced indestructible wealth builder. Uh, those are, I think, six to eight hours of video content in each course. Very, um, you know, very loaded up with plenty of info that will, you know, certainly uh, stretch your your skills and, and mindset. Uh, those are all on that site as well. And then, of course, I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm cranking out the Instagram reels right now. So, nice. you know, got to keep delivering value, right? Oh, Absolutely. That's the only way I'm going to grow an audience. is just pumping out um, ten times more value than I'm asking for in return.
1: Any, uh, I, I've been try, I've been told I got I got to do TikTok.
0: Well. <laughs> TikTok, I have a whole 76 followers. Um, TikTok's been not so friendly, um, today, <laughs> but we're, we're so plugging away. I mean, you know, you the great thing about it is that you can repurpose your, you know, reels, Instagram reel videos uh, into TikTok. And okay. so you might as well just do both at the same time if you're yeah. going to do them, because you can use the same videos for both. But yeah, those are frustrating. <laughs>
1: Yeah, my, my kids are experts at TikTok. Of course. Yeah, I, I'm not even, they actually get paid to be on TikTok.
0: Right. For right. their content. I'm like, how do you do that? I want to do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, they do. That's the sad part about it is they know more about these, you know, digital tools and yeah. assets than what we do. But, you know, it's great. We, we'll, they'll teach us and that's yes. fine. That's nice have built
1: in coaches in the house too. Like, yeah. Dad, your video looks stupid. Like, oh, well, what do I do? <laughs> but help me. All right, guys, buy indestructible, building indestructible wealth today. Um, Jack, big question. Big question we finish off every podcast with. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Do it. Hope it's not too hard. We are. No, it's it's very easy. We're land life. We buy and sell vacant land, dirt, trees. If you could buy land anywhere in the whole world, where would it be and why? Uh,
0: okay a vacant land or
1: vacant land, you could build on it. I mean whatever
0: you want to do with it but yes, vacant land. Well, okay so from a, a purely like the most valuable real estate in the world, right? I would mm-hmm. like to have it in New York City sure. <laughs> I don't think too much more goes for more per inch than that right or per yeah. square foot. Um, maybe Tokyo you know those are probably the top two, right? Um, but purely from a lifestyle and point of view, like, hey, we want to live a, an extraordinary quality of life, yeah. we would have a, a nice 100 acre, or not 100 acre, that's a lot, 100 foot of, of lake frontage on uh, an inland Michigan lake, and that would be the most incredible thing for our family. Or, I know I'm giving you a second answer. No, give me as you want. Okay. So (laughs) the other thing is there's mountain range in Northern Michigan. I mean, it's, it's not a Colorado skiing experience, but our family it's four hour drive and, and it's very accessible um, it's called Boyne Mountain, and we would buy a plot of land on that mountain so we could ski in, ski out, you know, build on it, golf during the summer, like that would be incredible too. Yeah. So I'm a pretty conservative investor, so I like I feel like I got to stockpile some more cash before I do something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the
1: mountains of Michigan, and then lakefront on one of the interior of yeah. uh, uh, Michigan
0: lakes. Absolutely. And those are valuable, very valuable pieces of real estate that will hold their values for uh, decades to come. I can imagine. But Jack, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? I so appreciate you having me on your show. I mean, great interview. So thank you. And I I hope I served your audience more than anything. So I think they learned a a ton of stuff.
1: So awesome. Uh, and, And like I told you before this, that everything you said is kind of what we're trying to teach people, show people that didn't know it existed before. So, you know, I think uh, you have a lot of great information and guys, if you want to kind of further that and, um, you know, grow even more contact Jack for some, some wealth coaching. But uh, I do have
0: in one, one final piece of advice in closing, I think, you know, entrepreneurs got to understand that it's completely normal to experience some real gut wrenching, really hard, difficult times. Yes. And this is why you're paid the big bucks. Entrepreneurs are the highest paid profession in the entire world. Okay. So, in order to get to that point where you get the, that kind of 10X the, the amount of pay or 100X the amount of pay for the hours that you're actually putting in. Yeah. You have to go through stage one, which is you're putting in 10 units of work and you're getting one unit of pay. And that could go on for a year, two, three, I don't know how long, yeah. but you have to be able to have the vision to work yourself through that. And it, it is challenging. It's difficult, but this is what you're going to get paid and rewarded so handsomely from the marketplace for being able to endure. Absolutely. That's
1: awesome. All right, guys. Uh, don't forget like, subscribe, leave comments, uh, and contact Jack by the book, guys. Until next time, I'll see you on land life.